Well, Gonzaga's first round game in the PK-85 tournament is going to be against the Portland State Vikings. A disappointing draw for Zags fans, but one that makes sense. We're going to hear more about thoughts on that matter and who the Zags will probably run into for the rest of the tournament right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your very first listen of the day. Thank you for making Locked On Zags a part of your morning or afternoon or workout routine, whatever it may be. I also appreciate those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. We are a fast-rising YouTube channel, over 800 subscribers now, trying to get to 1,000 before the start of the college basketball season. I know we will get there, but you can help out if you are not a subscriber yet. Just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, find that channel, hit that big orange subscribe button. All right, segment one, we're talking about the PK-85, the Phil Knight Invitational. Of course, Gonzaga was involved in the first event of this kind in 2017, the PK-80, celebrating Nike founder Phil Knight's 80th birthday. It was a very, very fun event taking place in Portland, Oregon. Games were at the VMAC, the Moda Center, the Child Center, where the University of Portland Pilots play. It was an incredibly fun event. Of course, the Zags did not take home a trophy they lost in overtime to Florida 39 points from Jonathan Williams in that game it was a devastating loss a super exciting game though the kind of game that we're hoping to see more of this year the bracket finally came out there are two eight team brackets participating in the Phil Knight Invitational this year the PK 85 Gonzaga's first round game will be against the Vikings of Portland State they are scheduled to tip off at 9 30 p.m on Thanksgiving. So for those of you who are celebrating Thanksgiving or having your turkey, you all know the story about tryptophan. Everybody has heard it. Turkey makes you sleepy. Gonna need some afternoon coffee on that one. That game is not starting until 9.30. The other matchups on this side of the bracket include Duke and Oregon State, Xavier and Florida, and Purdue and West Virginia. And it is entirely fair and accurate for Gonzaga fans to look at the eight teams on this bracket, look at the other matchups and say, why the heck are we playing Portland State? This is a team that, no disrespect to the Vikings, but they were a 500 team in the big sky last year. They're, I think, 250th or around 250th in the Ken Palm ratings. Obviously, they are located in this tournament in part because there is a regional aspect to the Phil Knight Invitational. Portland, Portland State, Oregon State, and Oregon are all participating despite the fact that I was gonna, Oregon is the only team that's worthy of being there. I was going to say, eh, maybe, no. Oregon is the only team that is kind of on the level or really even close to the level of the other programs that are participating in this event. We're talking high-level, blue-blood, power-five programs. We're talking Duke. We're talking North Carolina, Michigan State, Florida, all of those teams. I understand having the local teams as a part of it. I don't think that it is a bad thing. I think it is kind of fun. I mean, Chaminade has been playing in the um, Maui Invitational forever. Like, that is part of the deal, and I think that that's fun. But it's unfortunate, too, especially for a Gonzaga team that obviously has to kind of work very hard to make a tough schedule. They don't get the 
They don't get the pleasures of having an SEC or a Big Ten or an ACC uh, conference schedule. They obviously we've talked at length about how the WCC has improved and playing San Francisco and Santa Clara and St. Mary's twice per year is definitely not a bad thing. But at the end of the day, they still have a lot of conference games that leave something to be desired. So you want to maximize your non-conference games as much as possible. And when you sign up to play three games in a tournament filled with programs like Duke and Florida and Xavier, and one of your games is going to go up against a team that would have finished, I believe, last or second to last in the WCC last year per Ken Palm, that's a bummer. Now, the reasoning behind this is fairly simple. They were seeding the teams out. Gonzaga was determined to be the number one seed in the wet, in that region. Portland State was determined to be the worst team. They get to face off against each other first. Duke was likely determined to be the second best team in that side. Oregon State was seventh. That's why they're facing each other. And then you get whatever combination of Purdue, West Virginia, and Xavier and Florida. However they determine those matchups, I'm not exactly sure. But again, it's unfortunate for Gonzaga that they're going to play that one of their three games in the Phil Knight Invitational was going to be against a team that is bad. It's a bummer. There's just not a whole lot that can really be done about it. It's also a bummer that the game is at 9.30 p.m., not just for people on the West Coast who maybe don't want to stay up till midnight, but also for East Coast people, this game's not even starting till after midnight. There's just no way anybody's going to be watching it. There's just no way. I mean, unless people are waiting out in line for Black Friday deals and maybe they got their phone up and they're watching the game at that point while they're waiting for whatever big chain store to open up for Black Friday, maybe they'll get some viewers that way. But it's just kind of a bummer for Gonzaga that this is the way this is going to shake out. Their second round game, assuming they beat Portland State, will be at the same time on Friday. So back to back, very late nights for Gonzaga fans. Uh, They'll play the winner, I believe, of the Xavier Florida game. I I could be incorrect. It could be the Purdue West Virginia game. Either way, they will play one of those teams. If they win that game, they will quite likely play Duke in the championship game. That is the way that it is set up to be. Obviously, anything could happen. Things could change and that may not be the outcome. But a, a situation where Gonzaga plays Portland State and then Florida and then Duke is very realistic. And frankly, it's not the worst. It's not the it's not the best. It could be better, but again, the alternative here would be Oregon State. Oregon State went one and nineteen in conference last year. They were what I was going to say one of. I think they were the worst Power Five basketball program in all of college basketball last year. So it's just not that big of a deal between Oregon State and Portland State. I know Portland State looks worse on paper, certainly, and I think that that's where some people are feeling kind of chagrined because oh, Gonzaga always has this reputation for not playing anybody, but. This was an instance where they joined the absolute best, best tournament that they could have joined, and it still results in them playing a pretty bad team to start it out. But that's just kind of how how the cookie crumbled in this situation. The other side of the bracket, uh, North Carolina and Portland are going to play each other. Then we have Villanova and Iowa State, Oregon versus UConn, and Michigan State versus Alabama. Some really, really fun games. I mean, those basically every one of those games sound really fun to me. Portland and North Carolina is probably not going to be a particularly close game, but I'm pretty excited to see what Shantae Leggins and that squad can do against a team like North Carolina. Oregon and UConn seems insanely fun. Michigan State and Bama is obviously a game that Mark Few and the staff are going to be paying a lot of attention to. They will have already played Michigan State by the time this game happens, but they will not have played Alabama yet, and you can bet that they're going to watch how that game shakes out. Again, not the best result for the Zags, but we're still looking at a non-conference schedule that has Bama, that has Michigan State, that has Texas, that has Baylor, that has UW, and we'll have two of the combination of other teams in the bracket, likely some combination of Florida and Duke, but again, Xavier, Purdue, West Virginia could be in there as well.
right, we're going to come back in the second segment and we're going to do more listener submitted questions. We got a lot of questions for Mailbag Monday. I love that. It is late July and you all are still hammering questions out. I appreciate the heck out of you for that. We had some spillover all about conference realignment. We're going to answer those here in the second segment. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Built Bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar's puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. It's delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite cookie dough chunk puffs. They have a light and chewy texture. They have real cookie dough, cookie dough chunks. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All of the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. Plus, it's healthy for you. Cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. Run to Built.com to snag a box for you and the family. It will be a perfect treat. Or you can find a really good hiding place and just hoard them for yourself. What's great about Built Bar is that all of their bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Whether you need a snack for a workout, a late night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar and they taste better than a candy bar. Ditch the calories, fat, and sugar. Grab yourself a Built Bar. Go to Built.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're rolling over Mailbag Monday here on Tuesday, or whenever you are listening to this, we had some extra questions that I wasn't able to get to on Mailbag or on Monday's episode, so we're going to talk about them here. All of them have to do with conference realignment, the talk of the summer for college sports in general. This question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, I've seen it said a few times that if the Pac-12 were to ever extend an invite to Gonzaga, then there is a clear sign the Pac-12 has reached a point where it is not worth it for Gonzaga to join the Pac-12. Would you agree or disagree with this statement? I have a really hard time agreeing with any blanket statements, and this statement just, it doesn't allow any nuance, any context, any kind of explanation at all. Like That's kind of hard for me to agree with that. I think generally the concept of this question is probably true. And that's sort of what we're seeing right now. The Pac-12 hasn't disintegrated yet. The demise of the Pac-12 is, at this point, a little bit exaggerated. They have lost two huge programs. I'm not going to pretend that losing UCLA and USC, both schools in the LA market, is good or is in any way not a disaster for the Pac-12. It is. But Oregon and Washington are still there. The conference is still maintaining that they're going to keep the 10 that they have. We know that they're probably out there looking at some other additions. They're not going to add a program on the caliber of USC and UCLA, but the Pac-12 hasn't hasn't completely fallen apart just yet. I think that all of this depends on the utter situation. If the Big East is an option, yeah, I don't think the Gonzaga ever accepts an offer from the Pac-12. But if the Big East is absolutely not an option, if the Mountain West falls apart, if the, you know, the Pac-12 is pulling schools from the Mountain West and also makes an offer to Gonzaga, yeah, I think it could make some sense. I don't think it's going to happen. And I think there's lots of reasons to kind of believe that the Pac-12 probably isn't going to be giving Gonzaga a call anytime super soon. But there's just too much needed context to be able to answer this question with a blanket yes or no. I think, again, generally, it's probably true, but it's not It's it's not a black and white situation. Next question comes from Jalen via Twitter DM. Jalen says, 
If the Big, 12's, Big 12 adds four to six Pac-12 schools, would Gonzaga be interested in joining the Big 12 in some capacity? Would Gonzaga be interested? Hell yes, absolutely. Unquestionably, they would be interested in this. But I don't see any reason why the Big 12 would add Gonzaga. Doesn't make any sense to me. The Big 12, if they're already poaching Pac-12 schools, if they're able to pull the, the corner schools, which is Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, if they're able to make some agreement with Stanford and Cal, if they're able to do something to, to expand and add some of the Pac-12 schools into the Big 12, they're not going to add Gonzaga. Gonzaga doesn't move the needle from a financial perspective really at all. They're in a very small media market in Spokane, much smaller than all the other media markets out there, and they don't have football. I just, I do not think, the Pac-12 is the only Power 5 football conference that I think has even a shred of a chance of adding Gonzaga, and it's only because they would be pretty desperate, which kind of leans into the point that I was making in the first question, which, if the Pac-12 is completely falling apart and they need to abandon their football-only rule, their big high-major, in, or high-research institution rule, then I think that maybe they could give Gonzaga a call, but I don't see the Big 12 doing that. I don't think that they would be in a position where they would want to add a school that doesn't have a football program that's in a small media market like Spokane. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I don't think helps them as much as we love Gonzaga and we know how great the program is. And as much as Gonzaga would immediately boost the top end of the basketball programs in the big 12, unquestionably they would do that. It doesn't, it doesn't move the needle enough for the big 12 to really consider it as an option. Final question of segment three comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, Let's say one year from now, the Pac-12 attempts to renegotiate its TV deals, but fails. It loses several members to the Big 12 and is about to no longer exist. Further, the Big East is unable to pull Kansas away from the Big 12, and they do not expand out west to add Gonzaga. In this situation, that leaves the WCC and the Mountain West as the only realistic options for Gonzaga. Geography, travel time, costs would be virtually the same with both. They both play their conference tournaments in Las Vegas, so nothing would change there except for a little shift in the calendar. If you were one of the conference commissioners, what argument would you make to show that Gonzaga would be better off in the Mountain West or show that Gonzaga is better off in the WCC? And C, how would the arguments change if the Mountain West gains leftovers from the former Pac-12 like Washington State and Oregon State? I don't think this is the correct way to look at this. And I think and I know it's, it's kind of a non-answer, so I apologize in advance for that. I'll say this. To answer the, the, the third and final part of that question, if the Mountain West adds Oregon State and Washington State and is still trying to take Gonzaga, I think they have to consider it. But my kind of the hinge here is that is this Big East not being an option thing. The only way that Gonzaga realistically considers the Mountain West, in my mind, is if the Big East is absolutely unquestionably forever not an option, whether that's because the the boosters at Gonzaga or the athletic director or whomever has said, hey, we're not doing it. It's not worth it for us to move all of our programs out there. We can't figure out what to do with the rest of our schools that aren't basketball. So we are not doing it. If that happens and they know, hey, this is just straight up not an option for our program, then I think that this can be a conversation. But if that com but unless that happens, if the Big East is always a potential option, I don't think Gonzaga is going to make a move. They don't want to do this twice. Gonzaga does not want to move conferences more than once. So if they're moving to the Mountain West, it's because they don't think there are any other options for a for the foreseeable future. They don't see anything down the pipeline that could change, and the Mountain West is offering them more than the WCC. Right now, the difference between the two is fairly slim. 
Again, talking about a Mountain West that adds Washington State, adds Oregon State. Oregon State's not a great basketball program, but it's a big, huge institution, and they've had success on the basketball. I mean, they made the Elite Eight a few years ago, so it's still they're still relevant. Washington State has been quite good lately. I think if you add those two and you don't have any other realistic situations, then yeah, I think they could talk about it. But money is what moves the needle here. Money is always what what does it. And for Gonzaga, they're getting such a big piece of the pie from the WCC. And I don't think the Mountain West is going to offer Gonzaga like, hey, you can get a higher share of the revenue than any other team in our conference. You can have, you know, a bigger piece of all the revenue from making the NCAA tournament. Like the the Mountain West is not going to offer that to Gonzaga. The only reason the Gonzaga is still in the WCC is because the WCC caved and gave them all of that. And, and that's why Gonzaga is still where they are. I don't think that, the, that Gonzaga is going to make a move to the Mountain West if it's not going to get them dramatically more money. And there's the, still the possibility that two, three, five, eight, ten years down the line, they could move to the Big East. I think they would have to feel like that door is shut, like very shut, or else they're just going to wait because there's, there's nothing wrong with staying in the WCC. It's not hurting them. I talked about that on a recent podcast, but I think it's worth reiterating. Like the WCC hasn't hurt Gonzaga. There are people, mostly keyboard warriors on Twitter, who think that it is the worst thing that is happening to Gonzaga. It's the reason that they don't win the NCAA tournament. It's the reason, you know, blah, 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 blah. But we're talking about a team that's gone to seven straight Sweet 16s, two of the last five national championships games, has been a number one overall seed in the last three years. Like this, this, this program is not suffering because of the WCC. The WCC is also getting better. We saw a conference last year that, was never realistically going to put five and probably wasn't ever realistically going to put four teams in the NCAA tournament. But there was five different programs that were in that conversation at various points throughout the, late, the year last year. Obviously, BYU is moving on, and that is a loss for the WCC, a significant one. I don't want to belittle that point. But I don't think that Gonzaga is going to make a move just to make a move. I think they would only make a move to the Mountain West if it was clearly better, which again could definitely be the case if we're talking about a WCC without BYU and a Mountain West with Washington State. But they have to feel like that's the only option for them that improves their stock and they're not going to just, because otherwise they'll just wait three years and move to the Big East. If they think that that's an option, I, I feel very strongly that that's what they're going to do. All right, third segment. We're going to come back. We're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions. We're talking about Gonzaga's current schedule. We're talking about Mark Few's future right after this. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still answering some spillover mailbag questions that didn't make it into Monday's show. So here we are talking about them on Tuesday. This first question comes from Josh Edits on Twitter, who says, what non-conference game are you most excited about and why? So for me, it's Baylor, uh, and it's not particularly close, and that doesn't mean I'm not excited about Texas or Alabama or Michigan State, although I'm more just anxious about that game. But Gonzaga's got a lot of really, really fun games on the schedule. Uh, but Baylor, even if it's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which I'm not pumped about, frankly, I'd rather see them play at one of the two team schools. I think that's a lot more fun. But Baylor's very good. They're an excellent coach squad. Of course, it's the rematch from 2021. And that's kind of the piece that I'm most excited to watch. Gonzaga got beat pretty badly by Scott Drew and Baylor because of the way that they were coached and the way that they executed their game plan. Gonzaga's roster heading into this season is pretty similarly constructed. Now, we don't know exactly what Mark Few is going to do with playing time and rotations, but there's a lot of expectations that Julian Strother is going to play a bit of a Corey Kispert-esque role where he plays 28, 32 minutes per night, and most of those minutes come as a small ball four. 
Drew Timmy's playing the five. You have a six foot seven outside shooting player playing the four, and then you have three guards playing the other two spots. That's basically exactly what that 2020 2021 team looked like with Kispert at the four, three guards, and Drew Timmy. And then they didn't lose at all, and they looked very, very good. And then Baylor beat the tar out of them because they aggressively hit the guards with pressure right as they crossed half court. They brought Drew Timmy out away from the paint and forced him to guard guards in in switches, and they they just beat him. But those two things, and some you know Gonzaga struggled to get hit their outside shots. Baylor got some contributions from guys they don't normally get big-time contributions from. That's how you win a championship is you get stuff like that. But those those two things were the, the crux of what happened. Now, if Gonzaga's going into this this team, going into this game, excuse me, with a similar constructed team, Baylor doesn't have a whole lot of reason to do anything different. I think they're going to attempt to put a lot of pressure on Gonzaga's guards, especially since the point guard situation is Malachi Smith, who is coming from a small major program, and Nolan Hickman, who didn't play a ton last year. They're going to put a ton of pressure on Gonzaga's guards. They're going to make Drew Timmy play defense away from the rim and they're going to attack, attack, attack and try to make Gonzaga and try to make Gonzaga defend them around the rim. Those are not things that I think are are obvious strengths on this Gonzaga roster, which is why I'm excited about this game. I don't know that it's going to end in a victory for Gonzaga. They're going to have to make some adjustments. They're going to have to play a bit of a different brand of basketball than certainly than we saw in that championship game. But they're more than capable of winning this game, obviously. They're capable of beating just about anybody. But this is an early season, really, really tough test against a well-coached and well-constructed team in Baylor. And I think it's going to be a really fun one. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, who have been and might become the Zags out-of-conference rivals for both the men's and women's basketball programs? What are the chances of more home-and-home on alternating year non-conference games? And what are a couple of these non-conference matchups that you would like to see as regular menu items on the non-conference cuisine? So uh, obviously for the men, UW has kind of been the most consistent one recently. Clearly there was a long period of time where those two teams did not play each other, but that has been water under the bridge. They have played each other consistently for the last six, six, seven years now, six years now, I think. Gosh, it's been a long time that they've been playing each other. Um, We've also now seen Texas and Alabama two years in a row. That's extremely fun. I don't think that there's any contractual obligations to keep that going. We know Gonzaga and Kansas had scheduled a home and home and it's not happening this year, but it is set to start next year. So assuming that nothing changes there, we will see at least Kansas for back-to-back seasons, which is extremely fun. They've done it with North Carolina. They've done it with Arizona in the past. There have been a lot of teams that Gonzaga has been willing to do this home and home thing with. I'm hoping that we'll see more of them. I also think BYU is very realistically going to be a consistent non-conference game for the Zags. Mark Few and Mark Pope have played each other a lot. They're familiar with each other. It's a good game for both sides. BYU is rarely bad enough that it's not going to be a good game for the Zags. Uh, I think that one, there's already like fan rivalries between each other. I think that one makes a ton of sense to keep that one going for the Zags. Um, so yeah, I think there's plenty, plenty of options here. I don't know that there's anybody who's going to step up and be like every single year consistently going forward, but I think they're going to continue to find high profile programs to play year in and year out. Uh, for the women, Stanford has been the most consistent one for them. Uh, there's connections within the programs. Uh, and so they've always just managed to play each other. And then coach Lisa Fortier on the episode of Locked on Zag, she was on a couple weeks ago. She talked about playing BYU in the non-conference slate. Of course, now that BYU is leaving the WCC. So I think that's one that will pick up for the women's side as well. 
I think these are great. I think they're super, super fun. I've talked a lot about some of the games that I would like to see Gonzaga play more on the men's side. I've mentioned Washington State bringing that game back. It used to be one that was played every single year. Gonzaga ended up canceling it. Washington State has improved as a basketball program since then, so is probably more worthy of a game every single year against the Zags. I've mentioned Seattle U a handful of times. It's a regional game. Seattle U is is vying to get into the WCC. It would be a fun test for them to get a chance to play Gonzaga every single year. Uh, Obviously some bigger ones, Arizona, UCLA, Oregon, all of those would be fantastic. I'm not sure we're going to see the Arizona one because Mark Few has been hesitant to play his assistant coaches in previous years. Um, UCLA, Oregon, I would hope would have happened by now. We've seen UCLA occasionally. (laughs) They never seem to schedule Oregon. I'm not sure what the deal is with that, Uh, but those are all some super fun ones. And then of course, if the Big East thing stuff doesn't happen, even if it does, it's not going to be for a couple of years. Creighton is one that I've always loved. Every Gonzaga versus Creighton matchup, those are very, very fun. I think that'd be a good one. Obviously, Villanova would be a super fun one as well. There's lots of great options out there. A lot of good basketball programs. I think it'd be fun to see Gonzaga try to get some consistent year in and year out playing of some of those teams so we can kind of start seeing the same faces and the same coaches and and kind of build some some rivalries in that regard. All right, final question of the show. This one comes from that crazy Uncle Fester on Twitter who says, A lot of assumptions baked into this, but we have to think Few won't coach until he's 70, so that's going to put his retirement in the next 5 to 10 years. GU's coaching pay is well behind a number of major-level programs. I have to think we look internally because of this, but that can be a big crapshoot. What does this transition look like? If we go internally, who's the most likely candidate, B-Mike or Powell? If we go externally, how do we make the position appeal to a high-level coach? despite the salary deficiencies. Yeah, definitely a lot of assumptions baked into this uh, that I'm not 100% sure I'm necessarily buying into. I wouldn't be shocked if Mark Few coaches past age 70. I don't think he's going to coach till he's like 85 or anything crazy like that. Uh, I think his retirement is quite likely within the next 15 years, but I think it could be on the farther end of that. But this is 100% postulating. I have no idea. I'd be pretty surprised if he retired tomorrow, but I don't have any insider information indicating to me what he's thinking in that regard. So it's kind of hard to say. Um, And I also don't know that Gonzaga's pay is like dramatically behind. Certainly they do not have the resources that the huge big schools that have football do like in the SEC and the ACC and and all the power five programs, frankly, but they, I don't think that their pay is like dramatically lower that they wouldn't figure out a way to pony up because this program has a lot of support. It's got a lot of boosters, a lot of financial support. If they didn't have an internal candidate, and needed to go externally to find their next coach, they would find a way to to pony up some pretty good cash. So I don't. That's the one I'm not as confident that I'm buying into that Gonzaga would pay way less than any other high level programs. I, I just don't think that that's necessarily true. I do think Gonzaga looks internally though. I think that always has been the plan. Tommy Lloyd was the plan for a very long time. Tommy Lloyd got offered a job at Arizona that was a can't miss, no doubt. You have to take it opportunity. In the next 10 years, that could very easily happen to B-Mike, too. That's what makes this a really hard question to answer. If Mark Few retires three years from now and B-Mike's still there, I think that that's the direction you go. I think that that's three years from now, B-Mike will have had plenty of experience. He'll have been an associate head coach for four years. He'll be ready to roll. But if he retires a year from now, I'm not sure. If he retires 12 years from now, B-Mike might not be there anymore. Tommy Lloyd stuck around for two decades, but I don't know that B-Mike's necessarily going to do that. Again, saying this without any insider information specifically, but 
if B Mike gets, you know, if, if he stays around for eight, 10 years and Gonzaga continues to have the kind of success that they're having and Tommy Lloyd continues to have the success he's having, B Mike's going to be a really popular candidate to get plucked, to get poached. And if that happens, then Gonzaga might be in a, in a different spot. I don't, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I think to answer the question, I think Gonzaga is going to look internally. And I think Brian Michelson is the pre- preferred candidate depending on Mark Few's timeline, but it's really hard to say what, the staff's going to look like 10 to 15 years from now, whether he's going to be around, whether Powell's going to be around, whether Gonzaga's budget is going to have increased dramatically at that point. I mean, if they're in the Big East and all of a sudden the TV rights deals are significantly higher, they're on TV more, they're making more money, they're generating more revenue, all of a sudden then maybe the pay thing is is a complete non-factor entirely. So there's kind of a lot of factors here that are really tough to, tough to navigate. I'm sure that the staff has some level of a plan, has some hierarchy in mind, perhaps few has even given some indications on what he's thinking, but it's one of those questions that's that's really tough to answer until you're actually in the moment and you have to really start thinking about it. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the new website for all of my written content at scorezagscore.com. I'll look out for some recruiting updates uh, coming very soon on the podcast, as well as a look at what Malachi Smith brings to the Zags. I've been promising that for a few weeks. It's coming out very soon, I promise, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast which is available wherever you get your podcast available on YouTube. Finally, thank you again for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!